What is going on, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of Orange Slices. We are your hosts, Heath Pierce, Mark McKenzie. Mark, you did some traveling recently, huh? Back, back, back east, east of east from where I am. Yeah. Uh, heck yeah. I'm back in, back in Belgium, back in Genk. Um, we just had a, a takeover here in, in the centrum of Genk, you know, with the Italian, the Italian dub last night. Yeah. Quite a scene. Fireworks, flares, smoke. Everything you could imagine, streets blocked off, you know, just anything you could think of. Belgium doesn't go into the semifinals. Italy does. And look what you got. You got to take a full-blown takeover, you know, the Italians coming out. Yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, it's Honestly, though, honestly, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The Italian presence here is, is, is excellent because I love Italian food. Mm-hmm. You know, the pizza, the, the pasta, you know, that's stereotypical, like, yeah. Italian dishes, but it's it's authentic, authentic Italian stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I give them a lot of credit. I don't mind them. You know, I'm, I'm part Italian myself, you know? Yeah, you know, they say if you want the authentic Italian food, you go to Belgium. So I'm glad they got the authentic stuff and you're able to validate that. <laughs> of course. Uh, you come to Gank. Uh, who goes? Who goes to Rome? Who goes to freaking freaking uh, Milan? <laughs> come to Gank. You can get you can get all you can eat. <laughs> yeah, we just my family takes an Italian heritage trip to Gank every year. Uh, you know, for the Italian food. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like me going to uh, to to uh, Redondo Beach. You know, to grow a mustache. Mm-hmm. You know, like Keith Pierce. Yeah, that's it. Just so everybody knows, full transparency. I've moved this week, so I got no Wi-Fi. So I'm running off of some really weak uh, signals here. I don't have my microphone set up, but I will for the next episode. But this episode, by the way, was was a good one. It was uh, a fun conversation with Sasha Kleschen, ex-national team guy. He really, really has had a amazing career as a player and dropped some good advice for me, which I wish I would have had when I was playing, and also for you, Mark. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was good to have him on the show. No, it was great because he's another Belgian guy. You know, he spent his time over here. He did his time with Anderlecht, won a few trophies. I think that's, you know, something us Americans in Belgium have in common. We just seem to, to, to win trophies. You know, he, he should probably have came to Belgium to be honest with you. I got that Danish cup, Swedish cup. I got that lifestyle of like more of like the Nordic countries, you know, the more of the Viking, less of less of the Germanic people, more of the Viking people. But yeah, man, it was actually really cool to hear his, his stories and him going through the same thing that you've you're going through now. I don't want to spoil it too much, but yeah, it's just kind of a cool vibe to have somebody go through it and also to know that he's he's watching you regularly like play. It's, it's kind of cool when you probably you probably didn't know that beforehand, right? Had you talked to him? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. So now it's even more pressure because I have a guy who has more trophies than me watching me. So it's, yeah. Mm. I won't give away that. I, I won't. It's not like you. It's not like you because if, if you're watching, you know, I'm not, I'm not stressed. Yeah, I won't give away the amount of trophies he's got, but it's more than you and you got some ways to go. But, you know. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's more than both of us, bro. I know. He's got a lot. He's got a lot. But listen, I don't want to give away all of his answers and all the things he said. So this is our conversation with Sasha Question. So let's welcome in our guest, an American legend, uh, an Anderlecht legend who paved the way for Mark out in Belgium. Three-time league titles, four Super Cups, three Champions League campaigns. Uh, good luck catching that, Mark. Uh, that's going to that's gonna take you uh, uh, a bit of time. But he earned over 50 caps with the senior national team and was part of the renowned 2009 Confederations Cup squad that beat Spain in the semis. Um, he's currently back home in California with... I hate what Chivas was saying here. With the LA Galaxy, <laughs> my guy, Sasha Question. What's up, Sasha? What's How are up? you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, dude. I feel really good after you just listed off all of my accomplishments in my career. <laughs> yeah, we do that. We do that. We, we, you know, we make sure that, you know, Mark, Mark, for example, came off of a couple trophy seasons. So we're trying to give him, give him, give him some love. But that's a, that's a, you got a strong list of uh, accomplishments, man. That's, a, that's great. Thanks, dude. It's been, uh, been a real one i don't know it's been fun not over yet hopefully can add a few more before the end but mark yeah congrats man you've been doing awesome i loved watching you guys play with the national team this summer and and some early success in belgium which i follow the league closely still so pretty cool no i appreciate it appreciate it and he's still hanging on to that that federate confederations cup uh, 
<laughs> so am I, dude. Yeah. I'm still hanging on to that too. <laughs> Don't hate oh, on that. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, dude. Leave us alone. Bully, dude. What a what a bully you you've he become, wins, you know. He wins one nations league and now he's talking about <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. Try try losing to uh try losing to uh Mexico in a gold cup final, and then come talk to me by multiple goals, and then come talk to me about what uh what what life and memories are like, you know, the, 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 the real memories are the bad ones. You know, you can't forget those, you know, I have trouble. Like sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be on this. We'll be doing our podcast and I'll remember something anecdotally as a great memory of like, Oh, I remember then when this, but I'll tell you what I don't remember the time that I lost to Mexico in a gold cup final by a lot of goals. That's what you don't remember. That's, that's a nightmare. Yeah. But how's the season going, Sasha? What's, what's good with you, man? You guys are, you guys have started well. The guy, the guy Chikorito has scored a lot of goals to start the season. Um, but yeah, what's the season been like for you? It's been great, man. It's been, uh, you know, Greg Vanny has done a really good job of just getting us all on the same page, getting us all believing again and, and getting the galaxy back to being a, a real standard of MLS in terms of the way we're trying to play and also winning games. So you know, and everything's more fun when you're winning. Everybody's having a good time. The the vibes around the club are great. And like you said, Chicharito has been scoring goals. So, you know, in, in most leagues and in most teams, you go as far as your big players can take you. And so we're kind of riding Chicharito right now and things are good. I got to ask, I got to ask, cause, cause Heath, he, he, uh, or I should say, you know, Matt, give, give him some credit for, uh, for adding Chivas in there in the intro, but yeah. Who would you say is a bigger club, Chivas or LA when Chivas was playing? Who's a bigger? Who, uh, who no, not, Ch- not Chivas USA, Chivas the club. The club, Chivas. Okay, oh yeah, okay. It can't All be right, Chivas USA, obviously. Wait, Chivas Guadalajara? Yeah, no, no, Chivas as the brand, you know, Chivas that included USA for a bit, you know, until it, till it all fell apart. But yeah, as a see? global brand, <laughs> what do you think is bigger? As a global brand, I, I would think LA Galaxy is bigger. I don't think anybody in Europe knows what Chivas is, but everybody in Europe knows LA Galaxy, you know, mostly because of David Beckham and then Robbie Keane and Zlatan and all that. But everybody in Europe knows LA Galaxy. I'll tell you a fun fact, Mark. This guy, while he was at Chivas, was on the cover of uh, FIFA. Oh, was it 07 oh, or 08? I think it was oh, No, 2010. Nine. 10. Gee, oh my gosh, a World Cup. I was going to say 09. I was wow. going to say 09. Yeah, okay. 2010. Weren't you also on the milk campaign also? Weren't you on a cover of milk, the milk, uh, you know, like the milk mustache thing? Yeah. Yeah, I got milk. That's how the mustache thing started, I think, actually. But, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I have these posters up on like, I don't have like a room in my house or like a basement with like my accomplishments or whatever, but like out in the garage where there's like, just kid toys and bikes and stuff thrown everywhere. There's still like a poster of me from FIFA 10 and then the got milk campaign right next to it. So my kids like it. It's funny. <laughs> I like that. Mark, what do you got? In, what do you got down coming down the pipeline? You know, you're climbing, you're climbing the mountain. You're going to get a got milk campaign. You're I don't even know. Do they still even have a, got milk. going to be a cover model. I mean, I hope so. I mean, that's the goal. I don't, I don't, I don't even know I don't, if they've got, got milk anymore. It's like, is milk even still healthy for you? Back then it was like, drink milk and you'll be strong. Now it's like, you got to drink oat milk or like pea milk yeah. or yeah. almond milk. Exactly. I don't, it's exactly. So I don't know if they have, and plus I don't have a stash like, like Sasha. So it's a little <laughs> bit different, you know? So I don't know if it's stick as much. You can do it. Yeah, Mark. You- you got a little stash there. I got, got a little. That, you got that little R and B stash, you know. You know, that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I'm singing. I, was, you know, yeah. nice I think songs. he hung. I think Mark might have hung out with Marisa. Do a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Nah, Mo is a Mo is the king of R and B. That's why you blast in the locker room. You know, I'm, I'm out here in my fields after a big win. Like, bro. <laughs> chill out. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Mo is the man. Hey, Sasha. We, you know. This this new generation, you've gotten to experience a, a lot of things, but one of the things that that they won't get to experience is is the Olympics. You went to the Olympics. Uh, I personally think the Olympics was fixed because uh, in the way that they do it for soccer, because I'm at 84, which would have made me the youngest age group for my group, uh, and then the 85s got to be the oldest, which I find uh, unfair in a lot of ways. But um, and I'll say my I've already told the Peter Novak story, who said I was going and then never called me back. Um, as an overage player, but the, you know, what, what, what was that experience like? I mean, I remember obviously, uh, I just remember watching along with you guys from opening ceremonies. I remember there being like Kobe Bryant there and a bunch of people, like you guys are around all these big stars representing, uh, the U S and, and it's such a pivotal moment in like American sports history. What was that like for you? That was amazing. That's probably, you know, one of the best experiences of my life. 
um, like you said, just being around, you know, the basketball team and, and all these guys, they had George Bush come speak to all the American athletes before we walked in the opening ceremonies. Like that was pretty cool. Just being in the opening ceremonies and seeing all the other athletes around the world. Like I met Roger Federer that night and, and saw like Dirk Nowitzki and stuff like all these other basketball players. And I love basketball. So that was cool. And then I had a good tournament personally and our whole group of guys that was that age, you know, a bunch of us after the Olympics went on to have like pretty good full national team careers as too. So it was almost like a stepping stone that in between the U twenties until the full team. And so I'm gutted for these young guys to miss out on that experience because not only did we believe we could have won a medal and that's like kind of been this whole like worst like the, our worst memory of the olympics that we, we what we saw happen after we were eliminated like we could have won a medal but i believe that this group of guys could have won a medal too so it's really a shame that that they didn't qualify because it's such a good experience mark do you think you would have gone to the to the olympics uh, yeah. i know you're olympic eligible but obviously the way things work now is most players aren't going to be eligible for qualifying sasha i guess was your group ready was your whole group in qualifying that went to the olympics as well or was it a kind of a different group no, we pretty much see, we didn't have a lot of our guys playing in bigger clubs in Europe yet. Most of us were still in MLS. I think, I think Michael Bradley was already in Europe, so he wasn't there at qualifying, but then he did go to the Olympics. Um, and pretty much the rest of us were in MLS at the time. So most of the guys that were at qualifying ended up going to the Olympics. I know it's tough because I think in qualifying, we had like 23 guys and then the Olympics, you could only bring 18. So that kind of like, you know, a few guys missed out. But not like this generation. Like, I feel like the team that went to the Olympics would have been a completely different team than the team that was at qualifying just because you guys have so many young guys playing at good clubs in Europe right now that weren't released for qualifying. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it probably would have been a similar situation just because the timetable, you know, guys getting released at that point in the season. You know, March can be uh, – March or February. What I've learned to, like, pivotal points in the season because if you don't you know you're dropping points or you pick up points you can make a good stretch into the end of the end of the season so yeah I, going to the qualifiers probably not but I think that the team itself for the Olympics probably would have consisted of a lot more European based players um, did, and not discrediting you, any of the young players that were did you Olympics. watch did you watch the qualifying mark oh man yeah I was staying up late you know watching the games yeah. you know so it was uh yeah, it was tough watching, especially like the 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 semifinal, uh, the semifinal. Yeah, yeah, uh, the go through match. You know, because I was like, ah, maybe I could have, you know, maybe could have pulled strings and said, all right, can I go to the latter part of the tournament or you know something like that. You know, trying yeah. to, trying to be part of in some way, shape, or form, having played a role throughout the entire cycle. So yeah, it's tough. You know, seeing a group of guys you've been grinding with for the past year, you know, go down and now take a hit. You know, take the blame for you know, failing, oh, you guys couldn't do this. You know, you had one job, one task, this, that, and the other. And yeah, I felt for him, you know, I felt for him because, because yeah, I understand. So yeah, it's yeah. a tough one, but, but again, it's, uh, yeah, we gotta, we gotta go again. You know, the Olympics will be here again at some point. It just hurts me to see like three Olympics in a row now that we're not going to be there. And like, so pivotal for young guys to play this role. So hopefully, I don't know, maybe in four years or, or three years from now at the next qualifying not 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 to say we take it more seriously, but to be like, all right, maybe we've got a few guys that we're just going to fly in for the semifinal. A few guys, maybe right. one defender, one midfielder, an attacker, like a spine of the team that'll really like, hey, we're not losing this game. That we're not. We're right. going to the Olympics. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think that's yeah, that, that's an option. That's what I was talking to uh, to the staff about. But I just at that point in the season, it was tough. Yeah. You know, to even, no, to I know it's hard to get back time difference and, and all no. that stuff. And so. for you, for you specifically, like you literally just got to Belgium too, and you're trying right. to establish yourself with those guys. That's hard to do. Yeah. That, that, that takes me to my next sort of subject, right? So the disappointment of happening three times in a row, Sasha, you know what it's like in certain circles, being an ex national team player holds huge weight, right? It, it, it means the world people get what that actually means. But in others, it's like, but but with that comes a little bit of like carrying the weight of the national teams on your shoulder. So you go through this failure period and I feel like failure in 2018, Olympic qualifying failure. I felt this huge burden, which leads me to, to this inaugural um, Nations League thing, right? You go into the semifinal of the Nations League. What were your thoughts of that? And like it was that could have gone either way in that game at certain points. And then also the Mexico game in, in the final of just feeling like, 
I finally feel like we've gotten this burden off of one, this new crop of players, but also me as a former player of, of how good this national team is and how good you have to be to play on a national team. I feel like there's finally this pride back in, in, in on the men's side. Uh, going through that, what what did you see from from that Nations League, or what have you been dealing with as an ex ex USMNT player? Yeah, I'd say first, I would say the last. Obviously, the disappointment in 2018 uh, for me personally too, because that was probably my last chance to make a World Cup team, and then you know we didn't get the chance to to qualify, so that sucked. And then there were different moments in there where you're just like, we're trying to figure things out as a national team, like who are we, what are we about? And, you know, there were a lot of signs of promise with, with Burhalter and stuff, and it's been fun to watch. But, like, watching the final against Mexico, I was so proud. I was, like, so excited again. I was, like, these young guys, not only are they ballers, but they, like, showed heart, they showed balls, they showed, like, what it takes to play for the U.S. national team, like, what it really should take, what it really should be like. And then to, like, win the game – the way they did Ethan coming off the bench and doing really well, like Mark, you made a mistake in the second minute in the mentality you showed to come back and play a really good game, like amazing. So like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. I'm like so proud of the team again. And like, I, 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 anytime you beat Mexico, like in that crowd too, it's the best thing in the world. Like one of my best memories from the national team was playing in the O uh, in 2009, we had world cup qualifier against Mexico in Columbus. And we won 2-0. And it was just like to beat Mexico is just the best as an American. And so, like, I'm so proud of you guys, Mark. I was, like, amazing, dude. You you yourself, your mentality you've shown is, is amazing. No, I appreciate that. And it was like, yeah, it, it felt like we had done, you know, the, the guys before us proud. You know, we had done the nation proud after. Again, you had the Olympics in March. We had the 2018. And it's like we have this moment now where we can really, you know, put our foot you know, on the gas and yeah. accelerate this, you know, accelerate the, the, the federation, the team, the way people view us. And, you know, I felt like it wasn't the prettiest game or the prettiest tournament, but we showed a lot of character, you know, and it showed a lot of grit, you know, that, that really um, pushed us, you know, as a group to come together, you know, even more so um, and, and ultimately push us over the line, you know, to, to lift the trophy, you know, any, any time you get the opportunity to lift the trophy, you want to, you want to be on that podium, you know, with your guys celebrating with the confetti in the background. So, you know, just that moment was, was something special that, you know, I think we'll all remember, you know, whether you were playing in the match or just watching the match, you know, it was a, it was a special moment all around. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I feel like you guys have a great generation right now that for like the next, this World Cup coming up and then the next one that's going to be here in the States, like the sky's the limit for you guys. Like you said, keep the foot on the gas pedal and remember that feeling because it's amazing. Hey, uh, Sasha, I was, I was, uh, it's funny you bring up the Oh nine. Cause I've, I've talked about that before. I don't remember if you know, re- you remember details from that game, but obviously aside from like the wind and the rain that we had to go deal with in warmups and starting the game, I remember in like, and, and I've talked about this with Mark about sort of bouncing back in that mentality. Gio Dos Santos got a chance against us in like the second minute where he yeah. drove inside, beat two, three people. Tim Howard made a save on the line and it wasn't a good shot, but it was, it was a clear, ch- it was like a real chance. And then for the rest of that game, it was like a wake-up call and we came together and there's a photo of me, you, Michael Bradley, and a few others all tackling Dos Santos at the same time where he's trying to get through us and it's like a wall. And I show people this one a lot and and I've talked about this moment of being this thing where you tap into these US-Mexico games and you realize like what it means again to play for the national team, what it means to play together, to fight together, just how how tactics and this sort of the game, just sort of the energy of the game that's different than sort of like, let's play him off the pitch and open up yeah. and swing the ball around, but more of just like this war. And it's almost a different type of adrenaline or like fight or flight. And it's funny you bring that one up because that's one of the ones that I've referenced with Mark and his ability to let that mistake go and and the team sort of to to, to rally behind each other to, to fight back in that. And as again, I lost my voice screaming at the end of that game and I was doing TV work and I I was it's completely unprofessional to do uh, to take a single side on your your take after the game but I couldn't help it because I it was like this moment of relief for me selfishly but also just an excitement for the future of like you know what it's like you played in Europe for a long time everybody just talks about how bad the U.S. has become and how easy it would be to qualify here and how does the U.S. not and you carry this like shame a little bit and to see that convert it's funny that you bring up those those exact moments and same exact sentiments that I had. Yeah, that, I mean that game wasn't even a final for us, but it was 
it was World Cup qualifying. And it's just you those games, like you said, they're crazy. They're different. It takes character. It takes balls. It takes like blocking everything else crazy that's going on around you and just like focusing on the next play every time, like the next play, the next play, and then just getting the job done. So I want to switch gears a little bit too to to ask about the the 2010 World Cup campaign, you know, and you know missing out, uh, yeah, missing out on that, you know, and and we talk about the mentality of switching, you know, switching gears, you know, thinking about the next play. Yeah, for you guys, especially being in that cycle, how do you now change your mentality to focus back on whether it be grinding with the national team more in order to, to set yourselves up for the next cycle or uh, getting back to club football. How, how did, how do you recover after, you know, disappointment, you know, cause any kid dreams of playing in the world cup and to miss out on it and to be a part of it, you know, it, it, it's a gut blow, you know, and I can't even imagine it. I haven't even been through it. So yeah. What are your sentiments? Yeah. That, I mean, that was the hardest part of my career for sure um because i played a pretty big part of qualifying you know through most of 2008 and all of 2009 and then my club situation i was getting re- I, I was getting close to the end of my contract in 2010 and i yeah i just wasn't selected in the end i was one of the last guys cut and i i remember just crying all night like after bob told me i wasn't going to go in my hotel room and then I think it was like 10 days later, I made my transfer to Anderlecht. So I was fortunate in that way that I was just like, all right, well, I got I'm changing teams right now. I'm going into preseason. I'm moving to Europe. Like I've got to establish myself in Belgium. So I got to like focus on something else. And then I made my way. I remember after the World Cup, the very next game was like in August. It was a friendly against Brazil and Bob brought me back. And then I played for the national team all for the entire next year. So You know, sometimes you're just not selected. Sometimes you're not informed. But yeah, that was the hardest part of my career. And I'm I'm glad I was able to just like bounce back fast, get back in the national team again. You know, I played in every game of the 2011 Gold Cup. So, you know, like you said, it's not it's not like how many times you fall down. It's how many times you get back up. Right. And So I've had my fair share of disappointments in my career, but I feel like I've always come out stronger the other way. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I, I remember Sasha in that camp. I don't know if you remember these specific details, but Bob and them said, keep your phones on you, stay around until like midnight, right? Yeah. And midnight came and went and no one had heard anything. And then it was like, I don't know if it was like one or one thirty, or maybe that's what it was in my head, but it was quite a ways after we were supposed to know whether you made the team or not. And I remember we all kind of got downstairs and you could see just by numbers. And I remember being heartbroken because Jesse Marsh came in the hallway, right? And Jesse Marsh... And and basically said, hey, guys, it's a no-go. We're like the exact words that he used. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember thinking, and I respect Jesse so much, and you went on to to play for Jesse, but I remember thinking like, why is this guy telling me? He was the newest guy in the staff. He hadn't been around anything. He hadn't gone through the wars that we had gone through. And he's the one letting us know. And then they went, you go in the room, you shake everybody's hand. They're standing in like a half circle and basically saying, you know, thanks for your efforts and whatever. And I remember that being a distinct moment for me. And then a day later, I flew to Chicago for a game. And I wasn't on the I was on the bench for that game because I was clearly distraught. And I remember just crying and crying and crying. And I was warming up. And I've told this before, Mark, to you, where I was running behind the goal and the Chicago Fire fans were chanting US reject. And it was the closest that I had ever come to jumping a bleacher to punch somebody. And I was like, and again, our generation dreams of a world cup and a national team in Olympics, right? That's what at least m- the majority of us grew up on. You grew up in, in a, in a, in a kind of multicultural household that had a, a wider connection to the global football landscape. But for the most part, most American kids grew up um, wanting to play for that. Cause that was only thing you could really see at least when we were kids. And so that was my only goal, my big goal. I didn't dream until I was much older of playing for a big club or what, none of that made any sense to me until I was much older. And I remember just being like, where do I go from here? Like this is, I was, I think 25 or 26 or whatever uh, it would have been at that time. And thinking like, I've spent my whole life chasing this. And same thing. I had, I think I had the most caps in 2008 of anybody. I had in 2009, a big part of the qualifying went through it all. And then to come short, you're like, man, there is such a long ways to go to getting back to this point again. And when you talk about form and timing and coaches and selection and whatever, you're like, the odds are so slim for me. And I was back in and out, not necessarily a few times under Bob after that, and then uh, a few times under Jurgen. But you know, uh, you were able to bounce back and get back into the mix of things, which which I think is a huge testament to well, one, your quality and and the amount of caps you've ended up with, 
is is incredible and and well deserved. But like to be able to bounce back and focus on your club career, that's that's pretty spectacular. Because I've still got scars from from those mo- single moments. They're like Polaroids in my head of like, yeah. man, that really sucked. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to point oh, that out. Uh, yeah. that's pretty amazing that you're able to bounce back and now have the career that you've gone on to have. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, that's horrible. The warming up in Chicago story. I, 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 <laughs> I, I feel for you, bro. Cause that's, I mean, fans don't understand. They just see us sometimes when they're sitting in the stands and they yeah. see us on the field, they don't see us as human beings and it's horrible. But, but my recollection of that night is a little bit different because I was waiting by my phone, right? And yes, like you said, it got past midnight. And then when I got the call, I literally went downstairs so fast because I wanted to know, am I in or am I out? And I got down there and I was the first one down there. And I walked in the room and they were all just staring at me. And Bob was like, well, I was going to wait for the other six guys to do this all together. And I was like, okay, so I'm not going. And they were like, yeah, it's a no. And I said, well, do I need to fucking sit around here and wait for the rest of these six guys to be pulled again? Or can I go back to my room? And they were like, yeah, go ahead. And I just started bawling, like walking out of the room. And I remember Jesse came to my room like an hour later and was like crying with me because he knew how much this meant to me. And like, we had played together for four years. We had just stopped being teammates. He had just become an assistant coach of the national team. So it was like, yeah, it's horrible. That night lives with me forever. But like, yeah, like I said, I tried to bounce back like as fast as possible. I think I was lucky that I got my transfer like a week later because then I could totally focus on Anderlecht. I got my I got my transfer a few months later to uh, Chivas USA. <laughs> Dallas, so <laughs> we we went in opposite directions, dude. Yeah. yeah, you know how we started. We are started our conversation. We first jumped on about climbing the mountain, uh, you know, and you, then you get on the back end. That's where the back end started for me. So, oh man! But um, you stayed in the national team for a long time and became a figure that was extremely reliable and and consistent. You know, I see that now with a guy like Sebastian Legette, who you play with and at the club level. Of what is it like to be like? trusted by a coach, right? To be like a guy who you know, or what is the importance of being able to be somebody where they know, like, I know what I'm going to get from this guy. And, you know, that was what you had with, with the Red Bulls when you were on the, sh- the Sporter Shield runs, but also with the national team of always knowing that like, you're going to fall within this range of quality and consistency every single match. Well, I think that's something that I learned in Europe was in the position that I play, which is similar to Mark, a central player, you can't have like super highs and super lows. I had one coach who told me like, I don't need you to play at a 10 out of 10. And I don't, I can't ever have you playing at like a four out of 10. I need you at like a six or a seven every game. And so the the part about confidence and consistency became like the two things for me that I needed to know and have with me for my whole career. And the confidence part comes when you have a coach that believes in you. I feel like when you have a coach that believes in you, you feel like you can do nothing wrong. So I think it's no surprise that the best, the best, most successful part of my career in MLS came when Jesse Marsh was the coach because he would tell the whole team in front, listen, if the game is tight and the game is tough, give the ball to Sasha. When we want something to happen in the attack, give the ball to Sasha. He will make things happen for us. And he would tell me privately we're going to go as far as you can take us. And I believe that you're the best player in MLS. And so it's like, how could I go on the field and not be confident in myself when I had the coach telling me I was the best player in the league? So I'm sure maybe Jim Curtin was like that for you, Mark. And I mean, that, that part, that, that confidence part, and then the consistency part, I think that, that, that's just the most important thing as a soccer player. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think having the relationship with Jim, similar to what you had with Jesse, it helped me, especially as a young player, you know, having the confidence of a manager, you know, you're still finding your footing, you're still finding your game. And now you become a starter and it's like, oh man, you know, I do I have to take, I don't want, you know, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't want to take on more than I had to take on, but I don't want to, you know, come off as I'm shortchanging myself and the team. So you have all these things. And I think Jim, he did a really good job of, of helping me find that, that level headedness, you know, in situations like, look, it's not going to be a perfect game, but the same time you have the ability you have the potential you have the, the 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 traits to be a top player in this league you know to be a top defender for the u.s so trust and believe in that you know go on the pitch and show that you know and, and i think that that really helped me you know as a 18 year old coming in and then you know i got to europe and once i got to 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 gank i uh, sat down the the sports psychologist sat me down he said listen when you're here it's intense you know every day is a battle right when you step on the pitch, you don't need to be 
playing a 10 out of 10. You know, if you can find that consistency of playing a seven every single game, you're going to be on the pitch playing, you know, and especially as in your position as a defender in the center part of the field, there's, you know, that's what we need. We don't need you to, to necessarily make the game, you know, from that position, but we need you to be solid and somebody we can depend on when the game gets tough, when the game is tight, you know, when we need somebody to pick the team up. And I think that helped, you know, coming into a new team, coming into a new environment where I'm, you know, still finding my footing, you know, within the group, establishing that chemistry with the guys and and finding the the confidence with the coach and him knowing that he, what he's going to get out of me is I'm going to play consistent. I'm going to play that seven out of 10 that you need me to play. Yeah, I'll play eight, you know, if, you know, every now and again, you know, every nine maybe. But at the same time, you know what you'll get out of me. And I think that's what, you know, has been a big, big plus, you know, playing there now. So, uh, yeah, similar sentiments to what you said, Sasha. I think for a young guy like you too, well, even young, I, I was older, a little bit older than you when I got to Belgium, but not only gaining the trust of the coach, but the, the trust of all my teammates, I think was the most important yes. thing because I got to Belgium in 2010 and literally all the guys on our team were like, the only American player they knew was Alexi Lala, which was like, yeah. you, you only know him as the guy on TV who's talking bullshit <laughs> yeah. all the time. But Seriously. like, I watched him play growing up and I was like, this is the guy that you guys know. Cause it was the 94 world cup where Belgium was in the 94 world cup and they knew him. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, I have to prove a lot of people wrong at this club to try to get on the field because all these guys think that I'm trash, you know? And so once I earned their respect, then I played every game. I think that was important. That's huge. Did you did you have any uh, you know Mark's obviously gone at such a difficult time to Belgium in the middle of a pandemic uh you know also coming out of a very nurturing environment right and that where he was probably going to play cuz he was part of a bigger plan if you had a bad game you're going to play again there's a lack of depth and now you step into an environment where players are bigger they're stronger they're faster they're tactically smarter they're more technical they're they're all of these things and and maybe all those things are are averaging out now in MLS uh for sure but but playing at one of the bigger clubs under higher pressure uh is what he's had to go through right in a very difficult time Sasha did you were did you step in right away and play consistently or were there the ebbs and flows of also not just performance wise but also realizing that not everything is in your control right in MLS or where you came from again that lack of depth or whatever you were always sort of, at least I felt in in my first club in Denmark, I was always in control. You know, the coach would tell me if I had anybody else to play, I would, but I don't. So you're always going to play. You know, we don't have any, we don't have depth. Uh, and then you get to Germany and then I got to Germany. It was like, you don't play well, you're out um, and no one cares about you. Uh, did you go through that or, or were you sort of a, in the team from the very start and proving yourself in a different way? So, I mean, I, I see a lot of similarities between me and Mark because I was from Southern California, right? And I played for my hometown team, basically. So I had all my family around me. I had all my friends. Um, so that environment was easy. So getting to Belgium by myself for the first, I would say it took me about two and a half months. And I remember tough times at the beginning. I remember my first training camp I went to, uh, I, I had got to Belgium. We trained once in Belgium and then we went over to Holland for like seven days. And I remember on like my fifth day, so I've only been in Europe for like a week now and we were playing like 5v5 and none of the guys respected me yet. And my guy went past me and scored and they started yelling at me. And then my guy, like I didn't track my runner again, he scored again and they were just getting on me. And I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Like these guys hate me. And I remember I went to my room that night and I was like, calculating i was like man fuck these guys i signed for, <laughs> signed for four years here i'm gonna stick it out for four years because i'm gonna make a lot of money and this is how much money i'm gonna make and in four years i'm out of here because these guys are all dicks you know and then and then i find like i slowly was making my way in the team the coach started me like the first three games of the season and i didn't play great i scored a couple of goals but i didn't play great and then i was out of the team for like six weeks like sitting in the stand sometimes too like not even on the bench and I remember he, he, he had me play a reserve game on a Monday and, and I was thinking like, you know, I'm 23, 24 years old by this time. Like I'm playing a reserve game with a bunch of 16 and 17 year old, like talent from the Academy. Right. And the assistant coach came to me before the game and was like, the head coach is coming today. And he usually doesn't come to these games, but I think he's coming to watch you play. So take it seriously. So I told myself in the locker room in this like little tiny locker room over in like East Belgium, like in a shitty little field against a shitty team playing against kids. And I told myself, I'm going to treat this game like it's a real game and I'm going to play 
not going to mess around. I'm going to do like the dirty work. I'm going to do the job in this game. And I played fine. We won like 6-0. And on Thursday, I started in a Europa League game. And I started every game the rest of the season after that and basically for the rest of my time in Belgium. So I feel like most guys in, in our position would be like, ah, oh, it's a reserve game. I'll screw it off. I'll do whatever, you know. But I feel like I took it seriously and, and I made my way back into the team. So I was always like really proud of that. I told myself that day in the locker room, I'm like, I'm never going to play a reserve game here again. Like I'm playing one reserve game and that's it. And so I'm, I, was, I was always proud of myself in that moment that I didn't like buckle, that I got stronger, you know. No. That's, uh... And ultimately, like, <laughs> I loved all the guys I played with and became like, boys with all them you know it was great no of course of course it's uh i think that that was similar i mean covid take covid out of it you get to a new club and it's already tough enough you know so then establishing life off the pitch as well you know trying to establish those relationships you know figure out what stuff is at but i think the the toughest part was when i got there and we played bruges and then i was i think i've been there for like two weeks you know i had trained to you know like seven or eight times and play against Bruges. Bruges is essentially now contending for first place. You know, this is like a, no, I'm sorry. They were already in first place. They were like six points ahead of us. And it was the match where, okay, if you guys lose this match, Bruges is going to run away with the league. I was like, oh, dang. So the night we traveled, the night before the game, we traveled. And I think uh, John Lukumi, he he had some hamstring. Uh, he had something going wrong with his hamstring. And the coach knocks on my door at like nine o'clock and he's like, Mark, John's out. You're in tomorrow. And I just, it's, once they left, I sat there and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then like we, we got to the match, you know, I played, you know, ultimately we lost, you know, but, but I was still finding my footing in the league. You know, I was like, okay, this is how the league works. This is how the team, and I, I was on YouTube watching clips of uh, Bruce play before the match. I was like, all right, this guy's here, this you know, and finally got a, a, a string of games. You know, I actually done pretty well in that match and played the next five or six matches, and then hit a route. I think as a team, we just hit a route, and I went from starting the first my essentially like first six or seven matches to now not playing a match from mid February all the way until the beginning of April, and that was boy oh boy, that was hard. You know, because I can't travel home. You know, my family can't travel here. I'm not playing, you know, I, I, it's, it was tough also because we only had, you know, I was like the next center back in and I was the next center back they trusted to step in. So they didn't want me really to play reserve matches because they couldn't run the risk of me getting injured. You know, so I was, I think that first week I was just mentally in a route, you know, of like, what the heck, like, what, what am I doing? You know, this, that, and the other. And by the time I had like that sec two and a half week mark from not playing, I was like, bro, screw it. I, I gotta, I gotta snap out of it. and then. I hit a hard point when I didn't go to the national team camp in March, end of March. And I was like, that would be my break, you know, my, my time to kind of reset, give it the guys. And then didn't go to that. And then ultimately started again, April, you know, but bro, that was, yeah, not playing, you know, when you're away from everything is, is, is something, something I don't, I don't think people realize what it's like until you're actually in that situation. Yeah. When you're, when you're used to playing every week and like training is fun. I've loved, I still love training. I love going to training every day. But playing in the game is the reward, right, for all the work you do and, and all the fun you get to have with the guys on the field and, and the fans and everything. I mean, I, you guys didn't have fans because of COVID, but you know the feeling. And then when you don't play, it's the worst, isn't it? It's like they're taking away your happiness almost. And then you got to deal with it off the field in a foreign country by yourself. I, I know what it's like, man, but you bounce back big time. Uh, I know you have a lot of competition in your team too. Like I, I still watch the Belgian yeah. league a lot and I've seen you guys all season. We're always close to Bruges, you know, and Bruges got a lot of talent, but I, you guys got a lot of good players too. So I understand the competition, which is, is different than what you had in Philly too. Like you knew you were going to be a starter. So dealing with that competition, it makes you better too. So you've come yeah. out the other side stronger, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think also the worst part was probably some of the runs after the games. Cause I knew, I wasn't going to sub into matches. And I was like, <laughs> as soon as it hit like the 80th minute mark, I was like, Damn, uh, yeah, we got to run. <laughs> I, I got to. So, you know, with regard to that, Sasha, you're telling the story about what am I doing here? I knew that it was probably time for me to figure something else out from that same context. I went to, went back, left, left MLS, went to Sweden, was at Gothenburg and just got in a run where they're like, you got to play a reserve game. So I'm like, okay. 
I'm talking reserves games where you're playing in the same sort of thing, far away from home, this tiny crappy pitch with kids who just can't wait to finish the game so they can buy chips and Coke at the gas station for the ride home and play football <laughs> manager, right? Like I'm talking about real kids, like kids. And, and I remember doing that and going through it. And I got into this vicious cycle where because the schedule was always uh, offset of when the reserves would play, I never got to train on the best days of the week with the yeah. team when the, you had the intense trainings or yeah. the double sessions. Yeah. I would always get the double session day off. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing in Sweden right now? I train, I play with the reserve team on the weekend who are all kids. And then I train like once a week uh, with or twice a week in, in something of, of consequence with the team. And then the hard sessions or the sessions where you can actually compete, whatever. I'm not part of any of those because that's my new day off. And I was like, I think it's time to, to figure out. And I ended up retiring after that because I was like, this isn't for me. My body's all beat up. I can't like if this is what a job is like, it's become a job. It's no longer it doesn't feel like it, it, it once did. And and it made, you know, total sense uh, as to why I decided to, to for me personally, walk away because it it's that sort of thing. It's it's all it was all taken from me, taken away. And I had zero control. It wasn't like I was playing particularly bad. The team I played in the cup semifinal. And then uh, got the flu a week later, the season started and the team didn't lose for the whole first half of the season. So literally when, when, when I decided to leave in, in, at the, at the end of uh, like the halfway point of the season, the team was undefeated. And so I was like, where's my argument? I can't just be like, Hey, I think you should change somebody out and put me in, you know, cause I'd been playing well before I got sick and I just accepted it. But then I just was there visiting Gothenburg for six months, basically, or eight months, whatever. Uh, just, just there in the city, not playing, no, nothing. The game had been taken away from me. And I was like, this can't be what it's like, but I guess that's what sailing off into the sunset feels like. You know, hopefully neither of you guys have that feeling when you decide <laughs> to stop, you stop on your, I, I feel like very few people stop the game on their terms, right? You see it with all the best athletes in the world. Like very rarely do they go out a champion at the top of their game. It's like, you know, they sort of fade off, uh, as, as like the best ever, uh, even the top players. But yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, a weird thing. And, and especially for both of you guys, again, going abroad, it, it's, it's a unique thing to go through being alone, right. And being alone with your own thoughts and Sasha, yours was in a better time. There was more resources, but it's not as not to say it's easier for Mark because like now with his phone and everything, he can talk to everyone everywhere at all times. And there's not really like, uh, hey, you know, you're going to be on your cell phone for the rest of the day and you're not going to be able to like communicate with certain people because you're on the road. Um, was there any of that that you went through, Sasha, in terms of like homesickness that these little spoiled brats don't have to deal with now because the whole world is connected uh, <laughs> from a, from a single device that they don't have to, you know play football manager on, on, on a, on a computer, on a road trip just to get by? You know, I gotta be honest. I like that first training camp. I had felt it already, but you know, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Jamie, you know, her, Heath. um, she had just started like her career as an actress in LA. And so when I moved to Europe, the plan was that she was going to stay for the first half of the season in LA and keep trying to pursue her career. And after three weeks, she called me and was just like, I don't want to be in L.A. by myself. I want to move to Belgium. And so I was just like, yeah, thankfully, because now I had like my partner with me to like, you know, we had to get stuff for the house and, and get cars and like do all that. Like we were just so focused on like making a life outside of the game that I wasn't so much alone, like thinking about this stuff. But then, you know, she doesn't know soccer as much as like some of the other guys. So I had the national team guys really to rely on. Like I remember talking to Benny Failhaber a lot who had been through this in Europe. I feel like I talked to you, Carlos Bocanegra, other guys that had been in Europe for a while who had already gone through these lonely periods and stuff, you know, that they kind of had my back and they were the guys that I talked to for advice. So um, I definitely didn't have FaceTime on our phones back then, but I remember like would, I would Skype with my parents, you know, either early in the morning or late at night because the time difference was drastic between here and LA. Nine hours, nine hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, I th you think it's tough scheduling, you know, a, a guy on the West coast, try trying to FaceTime your family and friends. <laughs> yeah. <at home. laughs> yeah. Well, at least Skype for, yeah. 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 I'm blessed. I like, we have FaceTime now and whatnot, so it works out, but it's still, it's only six hours and it's still tough. Yeah, you feel like you're ending your day or you're starting your day you're midway through your day and they're just beginning or yeah yeah so it's it, it gets tough but uh but yeah i mean that's the nice thing you had you'd have your girlfriend over there so you you know my girlfriend yeah. looking forward to that whole period of decorations and yeah you know, exactly uh, 
uh, moving this over two inches to the left. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Mark's about to go through some uh, Champions League qualifying. Sasha, you've been through it all. What's I never got a chance to play in any European competition. Um, what 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 should he be expecting, or what's it like, especially as, a, as you know you've been through it as a Belgian club. The Belgian club, by the way, that uh, had they not blown it in the playoffs, Mark would have gotten you guys that trophy. You know, I know. Hey, man, yo, Sasha, you need to speak to the club, okay? You need to speak to Vincent because uh, you know if, if they didn't draw, if you guys didn't draw Bruges, you know that one game. Things would have probably turned, you know, a little bit. You, you know? They Bruce Bruce was on a big downslide in the playoffs, man. I'll tell you, this was because you know I play with Victor Vasquez now, who yeah. used to play for Bruges when I was at Andrew. Like we were like huge rivals when he was like the attacking mid, I was the box to uh-huh. box. Like we were battling all the time. So he's a great guy now. We're boys, but we were going some battles back in the day, and we were following the Belgian league, like especially the playoffs. And we were like, yo, Bruges is slipping. Bruges is slipping. You know, lucky for them, they had built such a big league in the regular yeah. season that, you know, yeah. they pulled it off, but it was close, man. I think they, I, I think one more game, they were, they were shitting their pants, dude. Right. I tell you, but they, they, they too. they've got a good, they've got a good club. They've got a lot of good players and it was fun. You know, it's so nice now. Like, my parents and my family could never watch games like on TV. They had to find these illegal streams with like a hundred pop-ups and stuff. So now that there are a few games a week on ESPN plus, it's been really nice to like, I saw one of your games. I saw Bruges. I watched a couple of Anderlecht ones too. So it's been good. No, it's, yeah, it's, I think my family, my family was on that, that illegal website. Yeah. But yeah, they were, yeah. they were hitting the X's and the, the pop-ups and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say it's a bizarre world that we live in now that I'm sitting behind the goal at the Nations League semifinal talking to Matt Miazga about (laughs) the points that were blown in the playoffs about a guy who's on the field playing right now who also hosts a podcast with me in the early part of his career. I was like, dude, this is like this is definitely a simulation because this is just bizarre that like I'm talking to a guy who was and he was like, yo if we didn't blow that and he's like, it was kind of, you know, the way it's structured, it's, you know, he was critical of the fact that like you guys did so well in the playoffs, you technically should have won, even though you finished on points. Um, But you can also hear, see it from their side that they built such a cushion that you're kind of like, yeah, you you know, and he, you got me while you got Ethan about to come in the game, you know, about to be (laughs) playing for Bruce. Yeah. Yeah, It's (laughs) a wild dude. The storylines never end. Like it's crazy. You wouldn't think that Belgium would have such a stronghold and in our lives, but it, but it does. But anyways, I hijack, I hijack the conversation there for a second. Sasha, any advice on, on playing uh, European competitions for Mark? Well, I mean, first and foremost, just getting into the group stage, it's it's tough when you got to go through qualifying. We did it we did it once. Um, the other two times we qualified automatically. And I remember uh, we played a team from Cyprus in the final round and we went to Cyprus and lost 1-0 in the first game. And I just remember the second game, it was 0-0 to like the 80th minute and we finally got our goal. And then we scored again like two minutes later. And I just remember that feeling of getting to the group stage was just like amazing. Like and I'm telling you, playing in Champions League group stage, and then if you can make it beyond, it's the pinnacle of soccer, right? You're, you're going to play against the best players in the world, and you're going to realize how good you are yourself. So my best games I played, I think, for Anderlecht were like at PSG, at Milan, um, Olympiacos, Arsenal, like where you play on the field with against these guys that you've watched since you were you know, 14, 15, 16. And then you realize I'm as good as these guys. Like I have the level to play these games. Like I'm not the worst player on the field. Maybe I'm the best player on the field, but I I'm in this game and I'm like balling. Right? I feel good. So if you can get to that, those games, man, like, oh, I can't wait to watch you play. Cause it makes you just feel so good about yourself and your confidence that you have just continues to grow. But the, it sucks that there's no fans right now. Right. Are you guys getting fans back in Belgium? Yeah, I think they're they're bringing them back in, but I don't know what the the capacity is. So okay. I'm hoping it's like at least fifty percent. You know, yeah. but it also depends on the vaccine and the testing and all that good stuff. So yeah, no, but I, I I would just say for qualifying, every play matters, man. Every goal matters. I mean, I know they took away away goals now, but you know, every every play matters. You guys will just grind it out. Yeah, man. That's what that's what the guys have been saying. Like the guys who played in Champions League with the club. Like, there's a few guys who've been here for a few minutes for a few years play like Liverpool and that experience of playing against them, you know, at Anfield and then coming back home, you know, how they drew one, one at home and then go to Anfield and the energy, the environment, you know, but feeling like they went head to head with one of the best teams, 
you know, in the world, you know. So, so just the talking to them and then hearing you say that, you know, gives you the goosebumps because you yeah. just want to do it, you know. And uh, but we still gotta, you know, get through qualifying and whatnot. But but I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, uh, those those some of those games are like some of my best memories. Like we played PSG away and tied one one, and I had a really nice assist. And then like we played Arsenal away and we're down three zero with about 15 minutes left, and and made a crazy comeback and tied three three. And I played like the last 10 minutes of that game as a center back because we were just throwing everything forward. And it was like <laughs> some of the best memories. And I, what I did every year in Champions League was I would always steal one game ball from like each season. So I've got like, yeah. they're in my garage in a box now, but like I would write the game on it, you know, PSG versus Anderlecht. Yeah. And so I've got these three nice Champions League balls. Maybe one day they'll get put up in an office or something, but that uh, uh, was always the best memory. Yeah. Just casual Milan, PSG, Arsenal. <laughs> we got some. We had some really good groups, man. It was so fun, dude. Playing at, at Dortmund, you know, with their wall behind, like Ooh. it was amazing, dude. Well, Sasha, we got to get a story from you. We've been trying to get, uh, you know, when we first started this podcast, we've been all the guests have been telling a story, like a Concacaf war story of some kind of some out of body experience where you were scared or excited or a moment in time, you know, from from. Eddie Pope talking about, you know, getting mace sprayed to your usual kind of things being thrown if people being hit with stuff. Is there a story that you have or you remember where, you know, now now Mark's had a chance to experience a little bit of CONCACAF, right? Like just the, like, actually, that was a pretty big taste of it. It's just yeah, the, yeah, the issue is that that was at home. Physically, um, big taste. And it, and it gets crazier. So do you have do you have any stories or anything off the top of your head that you want to share with with the audience that that's it could be funny or scary or, you know, what uh, anything that comes to mind? I don't have any one crazy story that comes to mind. There's just a few little ones that people maybe like playing away at El Salvador, right? El Salvador, they're not that great, but I don't know. You were there, Heath. I think we played this game. We were down 2-0 and, and we came back in the end to tie 2-2, but Bob was pissed. The grass is like this long. It's it's just a tough place to play. Like the same, we went to Cuba for a qualifier in that same, I don't know, 08 or 09. And I don't know if you remember the day before the game when we were like doing our in the stadium training, like one of the giant lights behind the goal, like came crashing into the roof of the stadium and was just like, okay, no one's sitting there for the game tomorrow. Cause that's like, there's just debris everywhere. And then the worst I remember is we played at Costa Rica down on the turf at the old Saprissa stadium, I think. And I think we lost three to two, but we got battered that game. And I remember I had a, it was when that they had that old turf that was really small and it was like, so bouncy and I had an ingrown toenail and I just remember like trying to play this game on my big toe was hurting so bad and I didn't want to ever tell the doctors because I didn't want them to like tell the coaches that I was hurting and then after the game I was like you guys got to do something about this and I'm like cutting off half my toenail because it was just hurting so bad but like that was my worst memory of CONCACAF because like Costa Rica battered us and then my toe was killing me and I, I just hated every second of being down there I was like I can't wait to be back in America where we're going to smack this team on home soil. <laughs> I was up in the box for that game. I didn't dress for that game. And I remember, I think Brian Ruiz scored from outside the box to, to early on in the game. Yeah. And I remember that place going nuts. And it's like, again, I, I've said, I've told this already, but when you think about a box, you think about being in this like, you know, Nations League final. I'm in this air conditioned suite where like, you know, I've got tinted windows. The team is just sitting there. No one can see. No, no. You are in nope. like the theater. Like you are, you are <laughs> the box, the box over from you is all Costa Rica jerseys. And as soon as you get scored on, you're getting stuff thrown at you. They're yelling at you. The, the actual stadium at Saprissa was shaking. You could feel it shaking and like vibrating. And you just go like, well, this doesn't feel all that safe. And I remember that game. That that was a battery. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have to play in it, yeah. but I was standing, I was up in the box going like, just get me out of this place. Yeah. That's, that's what people I think for the rest of the world don't understand about uh, qualifying. You, you really got to take care of your games at home because these games on the road are just, the, everything is against you and it's hard. And they're playing the game of their lives against the United States. They want to get seen by clubs and MLS. They want to get themselves to their first World Cup. So these, these games are super hard, but the home games, you got to take care of business. Have you played at Azteca? Did you do an Azteca game? I was at one Azteca game, but I did not get subbed in. Mark, this is the last time. I'm telling Mark, he's got he's got to make sure he's on that, that roster. For this Because after this, the qualifying yeah, changes forever, right? It goes into two groups. It's also a U.S. hosted one. There's never going to probably be in our lifetime 
Another, well, maybe not in a lifetime, but in the next a sig- significant amount of yeah. years, a U.S. Mexico at Azteca and a U.S. qualifier. Yeah, it'll probably just be friendlies or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like a friendly. Not even want, a friendly. They'll never play I that friendly play match. They play all their so friendlies bad. in the U.S. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna yeah. have to pull some strings to figure out a way we play in Azteca. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Do what you got to do. Keep doing man. what you're Easy. doing. You'll be on yeah. the field. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, I got some rapid fire questions. I'm gonna hit you with. You know, so we can okay. close this out. Um, just quick fire answers, nothing too serious. Okay. Your favorite player of all time? Zidane. Your favorite U.S. player of all time? Landon Donovan. Pineapple on pizza? Never. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Mark. Hey, can you get pineapple on pizza in Belgium? <laughs> no chance, dude. Mark, where are Honestly, you from? Where did you, grow, so. where, did you grow up in Philly? No, no, no. From New York, but yeah. Was, oh, uh, even worse. You're from New York. I you know, I know. People are gonna hate me, but look, <laughs> look. My palate, my palate is is well diverse. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> I got a wide, a large portfolio. You know, you got a palate, you got a palate of a seven year old dude. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I'm hungry sometimes. You know, I got pineapple on the pizza. That's the only option. I gotta get the pineapple on the yeah, pizza. Yeah, dude, get that fruit in you. You gotta, ha- you gotta get those food groups. You know, the, the salty and the sweet. You know, the oil, the grease. You know, it just makes me feel like a an unhealthy, healthy combination. <laughs> uh, and then last one, we got a, a public Spotify playlist, and we're having all the guests throw on the track. And don't be afraid to name a song because we got just about anything you could think of, from Blink One Eighty Two to Biggie Smalls to uh, Sun L musician to Mob Deep. By the way, before you say your answer, if you could guess yeah. <laughs> who put Blink-182 on from, from your generation of the national team, who do you think it would be? Blink-182 from my the generation. Is, is, the song is What's My Age Again to give you more detail. Oh my gosh, I have no idea. I'm thinking like some California guy like Frankie Haydick or Jimmy Conrad or something. Am I right? No, Wrong? It's, uh, it's uh, Jay Demerit. <laughs> oh, Jay. Absolute psychopath Jay Demerit, the best. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll give you my song, though, because this, this is the song. I don't really listen to it anymore, but I'd say for like the first 10 years of my career, on the way to the game, I would always get hyped up listening to Tell Me When to Go by E-40. Ah, okay. And I just be in my car, just nice. like, oh my god, let's go! I'm about to score today. <laughs> Tell me when to go. Tell me when to go. Tell me when to go. <laughs> Sixty mile an hour rapping. Oh yeah, yeah that's exactly. that yay area rap. I respect that. That's it. Yep. E forty. All right. All right. Well, thank you for adding the song, man, and and no thank you for that that response on the pizza <laughs> because uh, I guess I'm, hey. I'm not the only one though. I'm not the only one. My wife just got me for our anniversary uh, a pizza oven. Okay. So when you come to my house, I will make you pizza absolutely without pineapple on it. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll convert you. I'll make you a good pizza. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I like pizza without pineapple. But pineapple is just, you know, a little added flavor. Yeah. But uh, Sasha, you rock up to a, a little a gathering. You show up late. Everyone's eating all the slices. There's only pineapple, like the the Hawaiian or whatever. I don't know if you're allowed to call it that anymore. It seems like a, an era where there was something problematic in that name that you can't yeah, really show with that. But is. like, uh, it's a uh, Canadian bacon. I don't know if you're not, I mean, we talk about, you know, I don't know if you're allowed to call it Canadian bacon either. Yeah. Yo, you're about uh, to get us canceled, bro. You better chill. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you got ham and uh, and uh, pineapple on a pizza. Are, are you grabbing a slice or are you just going to be like, no, nah, I'm going hungry? I'm grabbing a slice and I'm picking off each individual pineapple and throwing it in the trash. <laughs> and then I'm also looking around who's at the party and I'm being like, hey, all you guys are my people because you guys ate all the other pizza and left this one. So I'm like, I'm at the right party at least. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I can give you a Fine. That. All right. Cool. Well, Sasha, appreciate you coming on, man. I know it's been tough to, to, you know, with uh, Mark being in Europe before and you being on the West Coast timing wise, but we appreciate uh, you making time and obviously great to hear your stories and and know that you're still in the thick of your career and got some years left in you. And we appreciate all that you've done for the game and we appreciate, uh, yeah, you coming on here and joining us. Thanks, man. Heath, you and I have known each other a long time, and I appreciate it. And Mark, uh, nice to meet you face to face. We played against each other a few times, but uh, yeah. you know, good luck, man, following your career and, and a big fan, dude. So keep going. No, no I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for hopping on and, and sharing some stories and enlightening me a little bit, you know. Um, and, and yeah, 
letting us let us tap into your life as a footballer. So uh, I appreciate you. Keep keep banging in goals. Tell my my little man Julian. I said what's up. And uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I'll be I'll be watching as well. All right, I only won seven trophies in Belgium though. So let's see if you can do better. All right. Oh, oh man. okay. <laughs> oh, who's okay. counting? Hey, only seven. Okay, all right. I got one. I got one. I got six to go. So there right. you go. Mark's Mark, Mark's got plans to be on his way anyway. You know, he's he's here for a, he's get, he's there for a good time, not a long time. You know, he's got. Uh, yeah. He's remember yeah. he's he's climbing that hill. He's he's got more things to climb. I know. Hey, listen, I know. Listen, he, he he won't be in Belgium long enough to to do that. I know he's going to be moving on to better things, but. Enjoy it while you're there. I played for your coach, John Vandenbrom. We won a championship yeah, together. John. He's a good coach. Good guy. Nah, I actually, guy. Te- I, I actually texted him right after. I actually texted him right after he signed you, and just I said, "You're getting a good player. You gotta, you're gonna enjoy him." And so he was. He, it was nice to hear from him again. Nah, nah he's yeah, great guy and uh, yeah, great coach as well. So wait, no, wait, one, 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 wait, one last question, Sasha. Yeah, yeah. You. I, I, do you think I'm faster than than? Oh, here we go. This is how we're closing out. Oh yeah. my! What'd you say? Do you think I'm faster than Mark? Oh, he's like was a very faster fast runner. Mark. Do you think I'm a, a faster? I sprinter? heard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the first. He's, honestly, he's Sasha, you're the first person that's ever bought into to that. Yeah, no, actually, you like, are. You are. You, like everybody else, first I expected to ride for me. And they know. Well, just like, well, I guess you are one he of the few this. that's probably played against both of us, but but. Most people have haven't given me the credit for being fast. Maybe it's because I I retired way too <laughs> way too long ago. But like you know, I appreciate you standing by me on this one. Oh, you were one of the fastest guys on the national team, dude. You were like that weird that weird looking dude that was just fast. Like, was like how, how is this guy fast? Like like I'm super slow and I look like I'd be super slow. Like you look like you're slow, but then you're super fast. <laughs> Oh, finally got the W I was looking for. We could stop. I'm, I'm with you. He, I know. He's been for months. Ah, oh, thank you. Got you, bro. Uh, it's all love. It's all love. It's all love. It's all love. You know, I'll give Heath. I get Heath. You get one. You get one. All right. You know. Oh, I can't wait to have the editor put this at the front end of the podcast. You know what I mean? Uh, we, left, we left enough of a breath to, to have this be the intro, you know, a little cold open, you know. Hey, real quick. I got to say my favorite part of the podcast was that we were we were we were chatting before we started recording, and then as soon as we started recording, your voice kind of changed into like this like commentator <laughs> voice. Oh yeah, and I liked that. That was good, dude. That was that was cool. You got to turn it on, man. You got to turn it on. I'm a I'm a giant phony. <laughs> you've so, been you've you know, been on. I got to go into character. You've been on TV for a while. <laughs> yeah, you've been on TV for a while. I can tell. I, I will say that I we get advice uh, for me to shut the fuck up in the podcast. You know, people people be like. You talk too much, <laughs> and and I don't know what to say. I'm like, you're, this is the way the podcast was built. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I talk a lot. <laughs> you guys, guys, stop battering my man's. All right, <laughs> you're the man, Heath. So that's it, Mark. Man, you're back in Belgium. Jet lag. It seems like they they beat it out of you with some fitness. You got you got family coming soon, right? But we're back. We're back in Belgium. Pops is here with me, enjoying the Belgian life. Mom's is uh, coming over, you know, with a couple other relatives, and yeah, show them around. Show them around my, uh, my my new country. You know what I'm saying? That Belgium connection. It's it's rare to have. You know, everybody, all, all soccer players go through the same experience in, in a lot of ways, especially when you're abroad. But like to have somebody in your country that went through it all, that's going through it, uh, that went through the same as you, played for a big club, knows the pressures of all that. Also, you know, worked his way into the national team in the same period. I thought it was a cool. A cool conversation. No, absolutely. You know, a guy also who who knows the league. You know, like I know it now. Uh, I think that's cool to be able to share some of those stories. You know, of how he kind of battled through, um, and you know, his, his climb through the Belgian ranks and, and to have the career he's had so far and still still playing. You know, in first division level, it's a testament to the guy he is. And you know, we listened to the conversation we just had, and you know, he's a great person as well. You know, um, so I'll definitely be in contact with him. Um, and, and don't be surprised. Sorry, Sasha and Heath, but, but if I surpass your trophy collection. You got two choices, though. It's a tough decision. Like, either you got to you gotta see out your contract there, probably to get that many trophies, or or you got to have uh, bigger ambitions, and you won't. But either way, so you got to sacrifice something, probably. Listen, listen. At the end of the day, it's about trophies, right? So whichever way it goes, it's about the trophies. I like that. And being faster than Heath. Yeah, that, that's not going to happen. I mean, it might happen now, but like, you know. 
not gonna, not gonna, wouldn't have happened back then. But you and Sasha had the same same coach, which is kind of crazy too. It was kind of it was fun for me to sit back and like hear all of this overlap that you guys had together. Yeah, because John, it's 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 funny how small the football world is. Because because John is he played in Holland and then he he's was coaching in Holland and then he coached at uh, at Anderlecht and now he's here with me and now. I remember when I first transferred, I think it was uh, Jim Curtin. He was like, yeah, Sasha wants to reach out to you because, you know, he also had the same coach as you. Um, I was like, oh, snap. You know, so funny how, how, how small the football world is. But, yeah, you know, it's cool again to, to have that connection with them. I like that. Well, look, guys, that's it from us. I apologize again for my sound. Uh, it'll all be set up. I've got I've got my Internet guy coming here in a little bit. It's not going to be Mark, who we know is a handyman, uh, but he'll probably travel with tools as well. They give me set up so that we can make sure that we're dialed back in for next week. And, you know, we've got a couple of guests lined up. Um, Eddie Johnson's one of them. We'll get him as soon as possible. And then Reggie Cannon was talking to him. Hopefully we'll get some others going for you guys soon. But make sure you guys are commenting, giving us a like, a review, uh, and keep sending in the requests of who we should be talking to. And we will make sure we get to them. That's it from me and Mark. We will see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.